by chapter study through the book of Romans. And I know God is going to speak to us today as we open up his word. It's living, it's active, and the Holy Spirit is the teacher of all things. And so as we open up our hearts to receive, he's going to speak to us. And so we're going to jump right into verse 21 of chapter 3 and a message called Faith Alone. So let's jump in. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 21, it says this. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. At this point in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul kind of changes directions, changes tones, and takes us down a new and very exciting and important road. And we see that right in the beginning of verse 21. It says, but now. The phrase but now there, it didn't have to do with a period of time or a season. It had to do with a change of thought in his process, where he was going and what he was saying. You see, the Apostle Paul had just got done finishing a, as a very skilled lawyer would, laying out a case, a very, very hard case with tons of evidence on how he proved that every single one of us is guilty and without excuse before God. And he did that starting in verse 18 of chapter 1 all the way until verse 20 of chapter 3, proving that we were guilty and not without excuse before God. And it says all were guilty. That covers the heathen it talked about in chapters 1 and 2 who replaced and began to worship the creation rather than the creator. And because of that, the Bible says that God gave them over to a debased mind. And they began to do things that weren't natural. Lust after man for man and woman for woman. And so he says you're all guilty from the heathen who rejected God and rebelled against God to the moralist Jew who thought that righteousness and justification and being in a right standing with God had to do with the things that they did, keeping the law and obeying circumcision, these types of things. And so he says, look, we're all guilty. We are without excuse. And so now he begins to change his change of thought. And after he condemned us and let us know that we're hopeless and helpless and we're all guilty before a righteous God. And so he turns the thought process to the good news, the glorious news of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the glorious gospel. And so he proved that there was nothing that man could do, not only that we were all guilty, but there was nothing we can do in our own strength and our own power. And so we see here, he changed thoughts and he begins to explain something that wasn't new, but he begins to explain how each and every single person can attain righteousness and justification from God based on faith. That's the good news, that nothing you can do is going to be right, make you right in God's eyes. Nothing you can do is going to save you. We're all guilty, hopeless and helpless before God. And so that's bad news. And sometimes the bad news isn't really good until you understand how bad and how depraved and how lost we were. And so now he begins to share the good news. How to attain righteousness, a right standing with God based on faith. This was an idea that he started in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Romans 1, 16 and 17 really hinge and are important to the whole foundation to the book of Romans. It says that he is not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. And then he began to build this righteousness based on faith in verse 17 of chapter 1, where he said the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. 
Now, it's important that we understand that, that we memorize that, that we grab a hold of that in our hearts. Because it's so easy, as we talked about on a Sunday morning message, to start with faith and then allow it to lead to works or to things that we do or to church attendance or giving of our tithes and offering or serving. It's from faith to faith. Our relationship, our right standing, our justification with Christ, it starts with faith and it ends with faith. And so he started that thought in verse 17 of chapter 1 and he picks that up here. And the first thing that we see in verse 21 is that this righteousness is apart from the law. Severing any ties, any connection that the law would make us right with God, that the law would justify us. Because of the Jewish moralists, the readers of um, this book at this time, they placed a very, very high emphasis on tradition and on religion and this would have been shocking for them to hear about a righteousness that was apart from the law they thought that if they kept the law if they did the ceremonial cleansings and these types of things that that would make them in a right standing and so he says here this righteousness from god is apart from the law it's not tied to the law in any way It would have been shocking for them, but I hope and pray for us today that this is great news and this is such a freeing truth for each and every single person here today. That being right with God has nothing to do with what we can do or what we cannot do. That should be the best news. That should be so freeing and a weight off of God's people's shoulders today. That's what he wants. Has nothing to do with you. And why? Why is that such good news? Because we cannot keep the demands of the law. James says if we violate one aspect of the law, we violate what? The whole law. And so if it was up to us to keep the law, to not do this and to do this, it would put a weight, it would put a yoke on God's people, and he doesn't want that. And so he says this righteousness comes through faith and faith alone. The law was never meant to justify The law was never meant to make one righteous before God. That was never his plan. And people had strayed and grabbed a hold of something that was a picture or a symbol, something to point us to Christ. The Apostle Paul spoke about this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, where he says what the law was for. It was to be a tutor to point us to Christ and that we might be justified by faith. The law was to teach us and to show us our shortcomings our hopelessness and our helplessness, pointing to the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith. And so this revolutionary message that the Apostle Paul was preaching, so freeing and encouraging for us, maybe shocking for them, because this righteousness and justification had nothing to do with the law, this wasn't a new message. This wasn't a new doctrine or a new foundational teaching that the Apostle Paul came up with. This wasn't new. It actually, it says in verse 21, it had been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. This wasn't new. This was something that God showed his people in the Old Testament through the law and the prophets. The law, the first five books of the Bible, often referred to as the Pentateuch, and the prophets covers the rest of the Old Testament. It spoke about this justification, God's plan to justify, to redeem and to declare righteous his people based on faith. So this wasn't new. He says, look, this is declared, manifested, revealed 
through the law and the prophets. God had a plan the whole time for the very beginning. You see, we, when things pop up, we adjust, and the Bible says, blessed are the flexible. We come up with plans when things arise. This wasn't the case with God. He didn't just come up, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And I got to do something. And so he came up with it. No, from the very beginning, before the foundations of the earth, God had a plan to justify, to sanctify, to declare righteous his people based off of faith alone. The sacrificial purifications, the ceremonial cleansings, the sacrifices that took place in the law, they were just foreshadowing and picturing Jesus Christ's sacrifice to things to come. It's written throughout the law and the prophets, and that's what the Apostle Paul is telling them. Prophets like Habakkuk understood that. He said that the just shall live by what? By faith. Not by the law, not by do and don't and works and these types of things. He didn't say that. But the just shall live by faith. Also, we see it in Genesis chapter 15, not just the prophets, but also the law. Genesis chapter 15, we see that Father Abraham, it was declared to him righteous because of his what? Faith. This was God's plan from the beginning, and that's what the Apostle Paul is sharing with them and telling them that justification and righteousness comes through faith. And so understanding that this righteousness and justification from God doesn't come from the law, that it's apart from the law. We see here in verse 22 how it does come, because that's important for us to understand. If it's apart from the law, if it has nothing to do with the law, how can we be justified? How can we be declared righteous in God's eyes? Well, verse 22 tells us very clearly how through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. What great news to know that our righteousness, that our justification has nothing to do with us, but it's all about Jesus. Again, great news, freeing for God's people. I mess up everything. I can barely do laundry right without turning my whites red for crying out loud, let alone if I had to do something that had eternal value and eternal consequences, my salvation, the eternity of where my soul is going to spend. If it was up to me, Oh my goodness, it would drive me crazy. But it's so freeing and such good news that has nothing to do with me, nothing to do with you, everything to do with Jesus. It's not by our works. It's not by the law. It's not through circumstance uh, decision. It's nothing to be earned or gained by good works. It's not put on a scale, well, you did more good than bad. It's none of those things. It's through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. It says in verse 22, through faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So that's the key. It's faith alone. But what does faith mean? What is real faith? What is saving faith? If that's what it's all about, if that's how I'm justified, if that's how I'm declared righteous before God is my faith, what does real faith look like? Faith is defined in to clinging to, to trusting in, and to relying upon. That's what that type of faith, to trust in, to cling to, and to rely upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, people come up to me and understanding that it's about faith alone, that we're saved through faith, it's all about faith. Pastor, what does real faith look like? And I believe it's very, very easy to see. I believe you can see somebody who walks by faith, who lives by faith, who trusts Jesus with everything that they have. You can see it because real faith, it changes the way that you live. When circumstances arise, good, bad, pain, death, 
circumstances, trials, tribulation. You're going to see when we're squeezed, what's inside is going to come out. We've heard that illustration. You would be surprised if you go to put some ketchup on your fries and you squeeze the red container and all of a sudden mayonnaise came out. That would be disgusting. Some of you are like, I like mayonnaise on my fries. Pray for those people. Um, (laughs) But you would be surprised. Like, you're expecting something. And so true with someone who trusts and relies upon and clings to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see it when trial and calamity and circumstances arise. You see them cling to, rely upon, and trust in Jesus. Not perfectly, but you can see a heart that is after the Lord. True faith, real faith, it changes the way that you live. It changes everything. Now, remember, this is so important to grab a hold of. It's faith alone, faith alone, faith alone. But sadly, we can say this over and over and over a hundred times, and it could be our mantra, it can be our statement that we say and say and say again, but sadly, some people won't believe it, they won't cling to it or apply it to their lives. And this is so sad. I don't understand why that is the case. Understanding and knowing and reading the scriptures that it's faith alone, why we add to it, why we make it difficult. It's so easy. It's so easy to to understand that we complicate it. We think it's just too easy. It can't be faith alone. It can't be faith alone. But the scripture says it's faith alone. And people that can't grab a hold of that, it's very easy to see as well. As easy it is to see someone who lives out their life living and walking and trusting by faith. Equally so, it's easy to see those who struggle with faith alone. They complicate it. They make it about works. They make it about doing more good than bad. Now, they would never say that. And sadly, so many of God's people struggle with this, with grabbing a hold of and wrapping their minds around the simplicity of the gospel and faith alone. It's easy to see these types of people. These are the type of people who make it about the things that they do. And they struggle because if they have a good day walking with the Lord, then they're on this high. And then the next day, maybe they do something wrong, say something they shouldn't, do something that they shouldn't have. And all of a sudden, they begin to doubt and waver in their assurance of salvation. How many of you guys know people like this? They make it about them rather than about him. And this is so hard. My heart grieves for these because I believe if God wants his people to know anything, it's the assurance of salvation. I don't believe the loving God, the God who would be willing to send his only begotten son to come to the earth to die for the sins of the whole world, would want people doubting, wavering, wondering, waking up. I wonder if I die today, is God going to accept me? I had a good day yesterday, but today, somebody cut me off. Lord, you... But then I I did pray after that, and I just don't know. And that's so sad. God wants his people to know it's assurance of salvation. And so Paul lets them and know, lets them and us know, that this justification, that this righteousness is for all who believe. In Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul later will say, anyone and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone and everyone will be saved. And here we see that there is no distinction with God. Everyone. It's not for a select group of people, for a limited amount of people. It's for anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. 
His desire is that all may come to know him. God loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so this offer is for all. And even though this amazing offer is for everyone, it doesn't automatically mean that everyone is going to spend eternity in heaven. This amazing offer, which is for everyone in the whole entire world, it's only activated, it's only redeemed by those who believe, trust in, and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though it's for everyone, sadly, only a few or some may receive this amazing offer. His desire is that all, it says, all who call upon the name of the Lord, this is for everyone. There's no distinction. And that's good news as well. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, black or white, rich or poor, we all enter into eternity in a relationship with God the same way, through faith in Jesus. Through faith alone. doesn't matter. There's no distinction. There's no partiality with God. It's through faith. Everyone comes the same way. And it's for all who believe. Now, this truth and this understanding that salvation is for all who believe is very, very important. That it's wide and that it's open and that it's for everyone because we see here in verse 23 that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. So he opens it up for everyone because it says we're all guilty. We all need it. How sad would it be? You're all guilty. You're all separated. You all fall short of the glory of God. But only 100,000 people, that's who my forgiveness is for. That's who my justification's for. Then it would what? It would come back to us. Then all of a sudden it becomes a workspace thing. I got to outperform everybody else. I got to be number one on that list. I got to do this. I got to do that. And no, that's not what God wants. He says it's for all who believe. Why? Because all man has sinned. All has fallen short. Sin is sin. The murderer, the, the rapist, the liar, the thief, the one who covets. It says all has fallen short. And this phrase, fallen short, it has the idea of a race that we just can't win. And a race that we, not only that we can't win, but we just continue to fall back. And we cannot get close. We can just continue to fall behind in. And that is what happens. That is us. That's a picture of us in comparison to the glory of God. We will always fall short. We will never get close. We will never, we will continue to fall back when we compare ourselves to the glory of God. We will always fall short. Understanding that should do two things for us. The first thing it should do is to keep us humble. It should keep us humble before a holy and righteous God, knowing that how far along we get in this sanctification process, how far we walk with the Lord, how long we walk with the Lord, no matter what, we are always going to fall short of his glory in comparison to him. And so it should humble us, humble us in the sight of the Lord. That's the first thing it should do. The second thing it should do is to help us to be more graceful and merciful to the people around us. Knowing that we're all fall short, we're all in the same boat. But if we miss that, then we're not going to be so graceful and merciful towards other people because we're going to think that we're better than them. We're further along than them. And so when they fall short, we're thinking, how did you do that? Why would you do that? And we're going to begin to feel good about ourselves. I would never do that. Hello? And all of a sudden, people begin to beat down. But whether we've locked with them for 100 years or one day, we all fall short. We're all helpless and hopeless before a holy God. And so... 
understanding that, it's going to keep us humble before him and graceful and merciful towards others. And so he shares the good news. The first two chapters was all about us being guilty, us being separated, hopeless and helpless before a righteous God. But now we get introduced to the idea of being justified and being declared righteous because of what Jesus did, because of faith alone. We pick up in verse 24 and it says this, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. These three verses explain why God is able to justify, to declare us righteous. Because if he's a just and righteous God, he couldn't just turn a blind eye to sin. He couldn't just forgive us and let us in and have a relationship with him. He had to be, as we see in verse 26, the just and the justifier. And so as we will see verse 24, as we really begin to look at it, I personally believe it is one of the most beautiful and sweetest scriptures in all of the Bible. And Paul starts 24 by saying that everyone is justified by a gift by God's grace. Everyone is justified by a gift. It's a gift. By God's grace, his unmerited, undeserved favor. Now, the word justify here, it's a legal term, and it carries the idea of reckoning or declaring one righteous, declaring one right before God. And we're justified this way. We're declared righteous before God, reckoned as righteous. How? By a gift. By God's gift, his unmerited, undeserved favor. Now, the term to be justified is important in the biblical sense to understand really what that means and really what that looks like. Because what it means is that God looks down from heaven and he sees us as if we have never sinned. That's amazing. Not only does he justify us and declare us righteous, he looks down and sees us as if we've never sinned. Man, I wish I saw people like that. Love covers a multitude of sins. And if I, I, that should be all of our prayers. Lord, help me see people the way that you see them. Because all we see in our, in our human eye at times is, man, I, I, I can see very, very clearly people who've wronged me. People who've done me wrong and people who hurt me. I, man, I, well, there they come. Look at them. Yeah, watch that person right there. I, I just see them. And automatically, I just go back there. But God looks down and he sees Eric as if he's never sinned. He's declared and reckoned me righteous as if I have never sinned. God made it very, very easy for us to understand and to remember the word justified in the definition of it, which is important, justified, just if I'd never sinned. Isn't that beautiful? So helpful for us. Lord, I'm justified. You see me just as I've never sinned. That's amazing. But being justified, as it says here, in verse 24, it's really a two-step process. The first step we talked about already, God sees us as if we've never sinned. He declares us or reckoned us as righteous. But there's a second thing that he does, which the first is amazing, but it gets better. It's like an amazing infomercial. But wait, there's more! 
right? What do you mean? You already got the greatest deal. God looks down from heaven and he sees me as if I've never sinned. He declares me righteous. I'm right in his eyes. That's good. That's it. But if you order today, if you place your faith alone in him today, guess what? The second part is he imputes his righteousness in us. Two-step process. Declares us righteous, sees us if we never sinned, but he takes it a step further and he imputes his righteousness upon us. Jesus Christ's righteousness. That's how he can see us if we never sinned. He sees us as if he sees Jesus. It's amazing. Imputed righteousness. Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 6 talks about this. Jeremiah 23 6 says, His name will be called the Lord our righteousness. This is called Jehovah Sidkenu. The Lord, our righteousness. We know the different names of our Lord and Savior. And it's so amazing to talk to him when we pray and when we're spending time with him. We know him as Jehovah Shalom. The Lord, our what? Peace. We know him as Jehovah Jireh. The Lord, our what? Provider. It's Creflo Dollar's favorite name of him. Lord, provider. You know, but it's all these different things. The names. But this one is amazing. Jehovah Sidkenu. The Lord, our righteousness. Lord, I'm right in your eyes because you imputed, you gave me your righteousness. So when God sees me, he sees you. That is absolutely amazing and beautiful. And again, through this, we see that our justification and our righteousness in God's eyes has nothing to do with us. Verse 24, it says, it's a gift by the grace of God. Again, so freeing. Such good news. It has nothing to do with us. It's his unmerited, undeserved favor towards us. It's beautiful. Now, God is only able to give us this amazing gift by his grace. Why? Because as we see here in verse 24, the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. That's why he's able to impute his righteousness upon us. Why he's able to justify us. It's because of the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Now, the word redemption would have rang very loud and clear to the reader in Rome at this time. This was a term that had to do with slavery. And every major city in Rome would have a place right in the center of town that was called uh, the place of redemption. Now, once a month or very often times, they would come to this place of redemption, redemption, which is right in the middle of the marketplace, and they would buy and they would sell slaves. For different reasons, for different seasons, they would just come together and there was a very, very popular slave market at the time. Historians said at the time that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome, over half of the population in Rome were slaves. So this term redemption, it would have rang, it would have got their attention. So in context here, the readers would understand very, very clearly what God did. Paul is saying that Jesus bought his people, he freed his people from slavery, paying not with shekels or coins or or currency at the time, but he bought it with his blood. And this would have begun to open their eyes that God came to free, he came to redeem. I can be justified. I can be declared righteous because Christ redeemed me. He bought me out of slavery with a very, very expensive price with his blood. Now, redemption is one of those words that we hear oftentimes that 
in Bible studies and throughout the, the Christian sector, but it's not a word that is defined very, very often. But there's a Greek word um, for redemption called apolotrosis that I believe really defines redemption, the redemption we have in Christ, the type of redemption that we see here, the type of redemption that because of that, because Christ redeemed us, we can be justified, we can be declared righteous. And this word apolotrosis, it describes one who purchases a slave for the purpose of being set free. Purchases a slave out of slavery, goes to the place of redemption and says, I want that slave, I'm going to pay that, for that slave to be free. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for each and every single one of us on the cross of Calvary. He paid the price to redeem us out of slavery from an evil master who desired to still kill and destroy, to put us in bondage. And he paid and redeemed us out of that slavery so that we can be free. And because of that, in turn, we see this beautiful choice that we make when we place our faith in him. Once we become free, justified, declared righteous, we willingly say, I want to be your bondservant. I'm willing to be your slave because you are a loving God who set me free to walk with you and to talk with you. You see, we had no choice. We were born with, born with a sin nature, so naturally we were slaves to sin. And so we were in bondage, and he set us free, and we said, we're going to follow you. We're going to be bond servants. What an amazing, amazing act of redemption that Jesus did for us. And that's why I love the Apostle Paul's challenge to the believers in certain in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, he says, you were bought with a price. Well, what do you mean I was bought with a price? We were redeemed. We were bought out of slavery for the purpose of being free. He says, therefore, glorify God with your life. Believers, we were bought with a, a price, a very, very expensive price. Jesus gave his life. The question is, are we answering the challenge of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6? Are we glorifying God with our lives? We're free. We're bond servants. We're bond slaves. And so in verse 25, we see that God sent Jesus as propitiation or a sacrifice of atonement, depending on the translation of scriptures that you are reading. And in this, we see that Jesus, we see the righteousness of God, which it talks about in verse 25, in dealing with the sins of the world. He had to be righteous. He had to deal with with the sins of the world, past, present, and future. And so he sent Jesus, and what he's saying here is that Jesus was the acceptable sacrifice, satisfying the justice of the wrath of a holy and righteous God. Jesus was the acceptable sacrifice. And through Jesus' sacrifice, he was able to show grace and mercy to all who receive. Jesus was the propitiation, an acceptable sacrifice for the wrath and the judgment of God. The wages of sin is death. Somebody had to die. So he sent Jesus, the pure, spotless lamb, as propitiation. There's three times in the New Testament that Jesus is referred to as the propitiation. The first time is here. The second time is in 1 John chapter 2, and then also in 1 John chapter 4. And in every single one of those times, we see it connected with God's love and God's righteousness and him sending Jesus to pay for the sins of the world. He was the acceptable sacrifice. And because of that sacrifice, 
Because of Jesus, we can answer that great question. God can be both just and the justifier. We can answer the question, how can a righteous God, how can a righteous and holy God have a relationship with sinners now and for eternity? It doesn't make sense. If he's righteous, he has to deal with sin. How how can both be? And as we see in verse 26, because he's just and the justifier through Jesus, he righteously dealt with sin and he graciously made a way for sinners to be saved. He's just and the justifier. And it's a little confusing to understand how he can be both, but we see that. And I think we see it uh, very, very clearly in the illustration, very popular illustration of the courtroom. Maybe some of you guys are familiar with it. Maybe you guys um, remember the story. Let's just say there's a, a courtroom scene. Let's just say that there's a young boy who got a jaywalking ticket. He was 12 years old. He was on a way on a summer day to go get a Slurpee at 7-Eleven. Let's just say, just bear with me. And so as he's going to 7-Eleven to get that Slurpee, he gets a jaywalking ticket. Police pulls him over and he gets that ticket and he does nothing with the ticket. And so this, it racks up money and it begins to, to rack up fines. It continues to get worse and worse and worse. And so finally, this young boy goes to court He has to see a judge, and to his surprise, as he walks into the courtroom, his father, his dad, just so happened to be the judge that was there that day. The judge let him know, hey, look, you have well over $1,000 in fines. What are you going to do? You need to pay up, or you need to go to jail. And the young boy began to plead with his dad, and he said, Dad, there's nothing I can do. I'm 12 years old. I have no money. I don't have $1,000. What can I do? And the judge stopped him right there. He said, in this courtroom, you will refer to me as your honor. You need to pay, or you need to go to jail. The young boy says, I I have no means. There's nothing I can do. I don't have that kind of money. So the judge calls for the bailiff to take the boy away. Slams the gavel. Case is closed. He's guilty. He's got to pay the fine. He's got to do the time. And so as the bailiff begins to walk him away, the judge walks away from the podium and he goes down and he takes off his robe and he stands next to his son. And he says, up there, I'm the judge. But right here, standing next to you, I'm here with you as your father. He pulls out his checkbook and he begins to write the thousand dollar check to cover the fines. And through that, he was both just and the justifier. And that's what God did for each and every single one of us. We were helpless and hopeless. There's nothing we can do. Destined to wrath. Spent eternity separated from him, but he sent Jesus. And through Jesus, we can be justified. We can have imputed righteousness. We can be redeemed through faith alone. And so be encouraged, church. That justification, that righteousness and redemption is by Christ alone and faith alone. Don't let this simple truth slip through our minds. This is such a beautiful, beautiful pillar of the Christian walk, the Christian life. And so let's live it. Let's apply it to each and every single one of our lives. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and for your grace in this place, Lord. We're so thankful that when we call unto you, you answer us and you show us great and mighty things, Lord. And we just want to acknowledge your presence, the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, and worship. And the Holy Spirit, the teacher of all things, 
teaching us and instructing us and helping us to be more like you. And God, this morning we're in awe of your great plan for us. Your plan to reconcile man to yourself, to justify man, to declare man righteous, to impute your righteousness, to redeem man based off faith alone. Nothing about us, everything about you, Jesus. We glorify you. We praise you. And God, we want to ask for forgiveness for those times that we make it about ourselves. The things that we do, the things that we don't do. Lord, it's the best news. Lord, free your people from that today. Give your people assurance of salvation that is through Christ alone and faith alone. Help us to walk in that, to apply that, and to live in that truth today, Lord. And we pray this thing in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and you are separated from God, you are a slave to sin. You're separated from God and you're under the control of an evil, cruel master. Redemption, salvation is today. Christ already redeemed you. It's up to you to walk in that redemption, to receive that redemption. Salvation, justification, righteousness, all these things is for all who believe. And so today is the day that you believe and that you trust and receive the Lord Jesus Christ and you receive your redemption. That you can be freed from slavery, free to walk with God, to talk with God and have a relationship with God. He redeemed you. It's already done. And it was an expensive price, not paid with money, coins or shekels, but with his blood so that you can be free. Today is the day to be free. And so if you're here and you want that redemption, you want that justification, you want to be declared and reckoned righteous, and not only that, but have the imputed righteousness of Jesus, that God looks down and he sees him when he sees you. Today is the day you can receive that. Whether it's for the first time, your eyes are opened up and you see God for who he is today, or maybe you need to rededicate your life to the Lord this morning. You've strayed away, you've realized this, but you've walked away from the glorious gospel, the greatest news, and you went back and have found yourself in bondage once again. Today is the day for freedom. Today is the day of salvation. So I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads and to close their eyes. And if you're here this morning, you're ready to receive the love of Jesus Christ. I just want to pray with you. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand as a sign of just surrender, saying, God, I'm surrendering my life to you. And so if that's you, we just simply raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning. You can receive, you can be forgiven, you can be set free. Anybody here this morning? Today is the day of salvation. I'm going to pray with you, pray for you. Jesus said, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. If you open it up, I'll come in. Be free today. Don't leave this place the same way that you came in. So we're going to pray in a moment. Is there anybody here? First time of rededication, simply raise your hand. I see your hand in the back, God bless you. Is there anyone else? Anyone else? I see your hand, God bless you. Those of you who raised your hand, I wanna lead you in a prayer. It's about the condition of your heart. You don't even have to say it out loud. If you're watching online with us this morning, or maybe you're in the fellowship hall, I encourage you, if you're ready to give your life to the Lord, to say this prayer as well. Just repeat it after me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I have sinned and I have fallen short. 
of your righteousness. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive you now as my Lord and my Savior. Please come into my heart and help me to live for you in all that I do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen. We rejoice with you this morning. encourage you now that you've been redeemed, that you've been justified, that you've been declared righteous. As the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your life. Not just you, but all of us. And so if you said that prayer today, there's people who would love you to encourage you and to help you along that journey if you want to stop by the prayer room. Or if you're her, if you're her, <laughs> that's if you're here and hurting together. Her, if you're her, 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 her. If you're here and you're hurting, uh, please stop by the prayer room. People would love to, to pray for you and encourage you. These truths that we talked about this morning, we can't just dismiss them as simple. They're powerful and they're so pivotal and something that we need to apply in our life and glorify God with. And so let's go ahead and stand and for our final song.